Life is a journey, not a destination. We've all heard this quote before, but is that really true? Is life really all about the journey? We each have goals we want to achieve, destinations we want to get to. In this week's episode of Unbreakable Lessons, we will discover how to embrace the journey of life and in doing so, become the people we were born to be. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of Unbreakable Lessons. If you're tuning in for the first time, my name is Yaakov Cohen. I'm a father, husband, public speaker, educator, and rabbi. And I've spent the past 12 years speaking and helping people create unbreakable transformation in their lives. The goal of this podcast is the same, to discover the tools that will allow us to utilize our personal struggles and create unbreakable confidence and inner joy in our lives. This week, we'll be continuing to explore powerful Pesach or Passover themes and extracting practical and inspiring messages for our lives. So let's get started. We have a question that comes up at the Passover Seder. One of the most prominent rituals that we have at the Seder is the four cups, the four cups of wine. Some people use grape juice. And these four cups are the four cups of redemption, the four cups of freedom. And each of these four cups have a specific term or concept that is attached to that cup, meaning the cup that we are toasting to, that we're drinking a l'chaim to, so to speak, at the Seder, we are doing so while focusing on a specific theme that that cup represents. So again, these are the four cups of redemption. In Hebrew, we call it the Arba L'shonot Hagaula, the, the four languages of redemption, each one of these cups representing another language, another term, another aspect of redemption. So there's Hoseiti, Hitzalti, Gaalti, and Alakachti. Hoseiti means God says, I took you out. Hitzalti means God says, I saved you. Gaalti, I redeemed you. Lakachti, I took you to be my nation. So if you think about what these four cups, each of them represent, they're all part of the leaving of Egypt, the Exodus experience, right? God saying, I took you out of Egypt. I saved you from slavery, from the suffering that you had to endure. Ga'alti, I redeemed you, meaning the way you would redeem someone who is held captive. God unchained and unshackled us from being enslaved to other people, to other masters, and gave us the experience of freedom. That's redemption. And then Lakakti, which refers to God taking us to be his nation at Mount Sinai, at Har Sinai, where we accepted the commitment to God through the, you know, the precepts of the Torah and became God's nation officially at that moment. So think about each of these aspects of redemption. They're all part of the Exodus experience. Some refer to actually leaving Egypt itself, and some refer, and obviously, Lakafti refers to Mount Sinai, part of the journey once we left to become God's people. We do not have any cup, any focus on getting to Israel. This is a little bit strange because the entire goal of leaving Egypt, obviously we didn't want to be slaves, that's the redemption aspect of it, but Hotseti, Hitzalti, being saved and taken out of Egypt, what was the purpose? What was the goal of the entire journey through the desert? It was to get to Israel. That was the goal, to get to the promised land. God says, I will bring you out of Egypt and take you to the land of Israel. Take you to the land I will show you. Take you to the land that will be your homeland. 
And if this is going to be our homeland, the entire goal was to get to Israel, why do we not focus on that at the Seder? Why do we not have a cup that we drink to where we focus on getting to Israel? Make this question a little bit stronger is if you think about the main Jewish holidays that we have, the biblical ones, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, all commemorate events that took place on that journey, right? Pesach, of course, was leaving Egypt. Shavuos, as we said before, refers to the Lakhti aspect of the redemption, right? Where God took, took us as his nation. Shavuos refers to the moment, commemorates the moment where we stood at Mount Sinai, where we received the Torah. And then Sukkot refers to and commemorates the time where God protected us on our journey and protected us from any dangers and harm. So, We have these three main holidays, these three biblical holidays that all celebrate the journey of leaving the hardships and the suffering that we had to endure during slavery and also celebrate when we went along our journey and officially became God's people. So why do we not have a holiday that celebrates when we got to Israel? Now, of course, you may say we have holidays that celebrate Israel, right? Yom Ha'atzma'ut, Yom Yerushalayim. But those, of course, are much more recent. I mean, thousands of years more recent, where we are celebrating not the Jewish people during those times getting to Israel, but the modern state of Israel where the Jews miraculously returned to Israel 72 years ago, right? So obviously we celebrate that, but there is no celebration, you know, thousands of years ago. There's no celebration, no, no holiday that was created where we celebrated when Yehoshua, Joshua brought the Jewish people into Israel after 40 years in the desert, the journey that was all building up to and leading to this moment of getting to Israel, where we would be able to miraculously, you know, def- uh, defeat these nations, our enemies that lived in Canaan, ancient Israel. And all of that that took place in the story of Yehoshua and Sefer Yehoshua we do not celebrate. In fact, there are hundreds of times throughout the Torah where we focus on the specific date in which the Jewish people left Egypt, but there is not a single mention of the date in which the Jewish people entered into Israel. Why? Why at the at this Pesach Seder, the Passover Seder, where we're celebrating freedom, why do we not focus at all on the destination, the goal that we achieved eventually, where we got to Israel after the 40 years in the desert? Why do we not have a holiday that celebrates getting to Israel 3,000 years ago, 3,300 years ago? Why do we not celebrate that? And so the answer is really the quote that we started with, which is that life is all about the journey, not the destination. What do we mean by that? Clearly, this is a Jewish concept as well, because this is exactly how God created our Jewish holidays. God put forth the historical events that allowed us to celebrate these holidays. These holidays that we celebrate, and of course, specifically the holiday of freedom, Passover, where we're celebrating the journey that we had. We do not have this emphasis on a specific destination on that moment where we got to Israel. Do we celebrate it? Do we talk about it? Of course we talk about it. But we don't have an official time that we celebrate it. We don't have a cup that represents that aspect of redemption, of getting to Israel, which was the ultimate goal. We do not have a holiday, like we said, that celebrates that moment where we got to Israel after the 40 years in the desert. So the question is why? And the answer is because life is all about the journey. And there are three layers, really, that explain why the journey of life is really the emphasis in Judaism, why it's considered the most important. First layer is this. Each of our journeys look different from one another, but are equally important. 
Every single person's journey of life is different from the next, right? We all have a unique mission in this world, as we've spoken about on previous episodes. We all have a purpose. We all have our own challenges. We all have our own skills and talents. We all have our obstacles, and we all have the things that we do that allow us to thrive in life. But we're all different. We're Each and every one of us are unique. So if there was one destination that we focused on for all of us, right? If every single person focused on the same destination, the same goals, the same mile markers, we looked at one another and said, oh, that person's already you know, gone to their destination, whatever that destination may be, right? I haven't yet. We're the same age, right? We would compare each of our paths and how far we are along in our journey and how close we are to the destination. But life doesn't work like that. So we focus on the journey in Judaism to say that really each and every one of us has our own journey. And so that person, where they're at, the things that they're doing, the things they're accomplishing, maybe even perhaps the failures that they've had, I can't compare that to mine because they have their own challenges and they have their own strengths. Their destination is not my destination. So of course, obviously in life, there are certain destinations that we all have, right? Certain things that we have in common that we share in common. But even those we say, whether or not I've gotten to that destination yet and that person has doesn't make a difference because we all have our own journey. So we emphasize the journey. We emphasize that each of us have our own unique journey that we're all on, that own, that own unique path that we're all on, and we cannot compare ourselves to one another. There's a great story where a young man who decided that he wanted to become more religiously observant. He wanted to learn Torah, learning, you know, learn Jewish wisdom. And he was 19 years old. He had never really had a Jewish background. And so he decided to enroll in a yeshiva, a Jewish school. And he was so excited. He was thrilled. He was learning every single day, you know, Talmudic texts and biblical texts, you know, Tanakh, Gemara. And he was really just thriving and he was growing and he was committing himself to more and more of the Jewish rituals that we have. And he was so passionate. He was so excited. He was flying high. Unfortunately, however, about six months into this process, into this journey, he was diagnosed with a specific illness that caused him to have to go to the hospital every week and get treatments done once a week, right, all day. So it was a Wednesday that he would leave, a Wednesday morning that he would leave, he'd go to the hospital, and he would spend the entire day at the hospital, you know, going through these treatments, and then he would come back to yeshiva, to the Jewish school that he was enrolled in, Thursday morning. And he was thrilled every single Thursday morning when he came back, he was absolutely thrilled to be back. And he accepted this is the reality, this is what he had to do in order to recover from this illness, in order to become healthy. So he had to go, he had to leave school for, you know, that that one day every week, that Wednesday, in order to get these treatments done. And so one day, the head of the school, the the dean, the Rosh Yeshiva, the head of the school, was walking around the study hall, the base manager, and he saw that this young man, Joey, his name is Joey, was sitting at his table where he was supposed to be you know, learning. He had a, a, you know, a book open and he was crying. And the rabbi, the head of the school, noticed immediately that he was crying and he sat down next to him trying to comfort him. And he saw that nothing he was saying was helping. You know, he figured, the rabbi figured that Joey was upset because of the fact that, you know, he, this illness was was obviously very painful for him, difficult for him. Perhaps he was crying because he had to go get these uh, difficult treatments done every single week, you know, for a full day. Obviously, an arduous experience that no one should 
go through, don't you want to go through? And he was comforting him using words where he, again, was focused on the fact that Joey must be crying because of one of those reasons. But Joey stops him in his tracks and says, that's not why I'm crying. That's not why I'm crying. The rabbi says, okay, what's wrong? Joey says, I'm crying, I'm upset because every single week when I leave, I obviously accept that this is what I need in order to get healthy. But when I come back Thursday morning, I am always thrilled to come back to yeshiva, to come back to school, and to learn to dive back into the Jewish texts and to continue growing in my journey. But what I notice is that every single week, every Thursday morning when I come back to school, it doesn't seem like anyone even notices that I was gone. It doesn't seem like anyone realizes that I was missing. And so if my presence isn't lacking when I'm not here, right, if no one actually notices that I'm gone and feels a sense of joy that when I return, then what am I doing here? What am I doing? Why am I, you know, spending all this time every day, all day, you know, really working hard at discovering my Jewish roots and learning Hebrew and Aramaic for the Talmud and really learning, you know, how to learn properly these, you know, these Jewish texts and these new concepts. What am I wasting my time for if my presence here isn't actually meaningful? No one actually cares whether or not I'm here. What's the purpose of me being here? And the rabbi turned to him and told him the following story. This is like a story in a story we have here, right? He says, years ago, there was a world-famous conductor, musical conductor by the name of Arturo Toscanini. And Toscanini was a world-famous conductor. Everyone knew his name. And there was an author who was writing a biography at at the time on Toscanini. And so he would, you know, call him up constantly or spend time with him in person, interviewing him, asking him questions that would allow him to really write this book properly, include all the details of Tuscanini's life. And so when it came time for the next interview, the next chapter in the book, the author calls up Tuscanini and he says, do you have time this week that we can meet? We can have our next interview. And Tuscanini says, I'm so sorry, but I think this week is, is pretty much booked. It's pretty much, you know, packed in schedule. I'm trying to think. And he starts talking out loud. He says, tomorrow night, Monday, I have a concert that I'm conducting. Tuesday night, I'm going to be at home listening to an old concert, old symphony orchestra that I used to conduct. And he continues talking. Wednesday, I have these meetings. And the author stops him and he says, whoa, whoa wait a second. Do you mind if I come to your house Tuesday night and listen to the concert with you? And Tuscanini says, listen with me. Why would you want to do that? And the author says, you know, I'm writing this book about you. And I think that it would allow me to really get to know you in a meaningful way if I just watch how you, a world-famous conductor, listens to a symphony orchestra. So I just want to be there to experience that with you. And Tuscanini says, that's fine. Of course. The concert starts at 8 o'clock. Come by my house at 8. And so... Tuesday night, the author gets to Tuscanini's home and he's let in and he comes into Tuscanini's office where he already has the radio on. He's listening to the concert and the author sits down very quietly next to him and Tuscanini doesn't even notice that the author has walked in. His eyes are closed. His head is in his hands. He has this sense of immense concentration, you know, really wrapped up and encompassed by the music. And he is moving his hands around as the music is playing as if he's the conductor there at the concert itself. And obviously just really appearing like he enjoys every moment of that concert. An hour and a half goes by and the concert ends. The author turns to Tuscan and he says, so what'd you think? And Tuscanini says, 
eh, it was okay. And <laughs> the author says, it was okay? What are you talking about? What do you mean it was okay? You look like you were enjoying it so much. Look, you were wrapped up in the music. Why was it only okay? And Toscanini says, well, everyone who was at the concert, all of the musicians in the symphony orchestra did an incredible job. And they played really well. But a couple of minutes into the concert, I realized as I was listening that out of the 120 musicians in the symphony orchestra, there were supposed to be 15 violinists. And there were only 14. One of the violinists was missing. And the author says, excuse me? And Toscanini says, yeah, one of the violinists was missing. There was a person missing from the 120-piece orchestra. And the author says, it's not possible that you could hear such a thing. And Toscanini says, no, I'm telling you, that's, that's, that's what happened. And the author is not going to argue with him. He says, okay, thank you so much for the experience of allowing me to listen to the concert with you. The author goes home. That night, this is starting to really bother him. Why would Toscanini make this up? Obviously, it's impossible that listening over the radio to a concert that he could hear such a thing that out of 120 musicians, one person's missing. There's just absolutely no way. So just to clear his head, the next morning, he decides to call up the concert hall itself. And he eventually gets through the manager where he asks the manager, were there by any chance any musicians who was missing from your concert last night? And the manager is shocked. And he responds, as a matter of fact, yes. You know, this doesn't usually happen. But unfortunately, one of our violinists got very sick about an hour before the concert, and we didn't have enough time to replace him. Usually if we, you know, if someone gets sick, one of our musicians gets sick, you know, we have a day at least to find someone to replace that musician. But unfortunately, because it was so close to the concert, we didn't have enough time to replace him. And therefore, we unfortunately were missing one of our musicians from our 120-piece orchestra. The author drops the phone. Gets into his car, drives over to Tuscanini's house, bangs on the door. Tuscanini answers the door. And the author starts yelling at him almost. He says, how could you know? How is it possible that you could hear such a thing? That over the radio, you could hear that one person out of 120 musicians was missing from the concert. How is it possible that you were able to hear that? And Tuscanini's smiling and shaking his head. And he's saying, you don't understand. To you? When you listen to music, you're an outsider. You're from the outside listening in, and it sounds nice. It sounds like music. sounds like one cohesive unit. And for me, there is that layer, of course. But when I continue listening in detail, I'm not listening as an outsider. I'm listening as a conductor. And I can hear every single person's part. And so, of course, I hear who's playing their part and who's not. And after a couple of minutes of listening to the concert last night, I could hear that some of those violin notes were not being played. And I immediately realized that one of the violinists was missing. Now, the rabbi who was telling this story to Joey turns to Joey and says, Joey, when you come into yeshiva to the school on Thursday mornings, you may, it may look like to you that no one realizes that you were gone. But in fact, those people who you feel don't realize that you were missing the day before, they may or, that may or may not be true. But if it is true, they're just outsiders, like the author in the story. They're just outsiders. They don't really know every person's mission in life. They don't really know what each person has to contribute to the world. They may not know. They may not understand. But there is one who does. And that's God, the conductor of the universe. You see, each and every one of us, the rabbi said, all play a part 
in the World Symphony. And only the conductor truly knows every single person's part. So he could hear, just like Tuscany was able to hear, who's playing their part and who's not. And when you come back to yeshiva, to school on Thursday morning, and you return to your Torah study, God, the conductor of the universe, now listens to the symphony of the world and can hear that it's complete. He can hear that your part is being played again. And there is no greater joy, I'm sure, that God, the conductor of the universe, experiences when he hears that complete sound. And so every single day after that, Joey would come to school every Thursday morning and he would point up and he says, the conductor knows I'm here. The conductor, he knows I'm here. And so every single one of us plays an important role in this world. We each play our part in the world symphony. And not one person's part is the same as the next. All we have to do every single day of our lives is try to be better today than we were yesterday. That's what life's journey is all about. We have to feel a sense of comfort, a sense of joy of where we are right now. We have to say, what am I doing right now? Am I doing the best possible job that I could be doing? Am I playing my part to the best of my abilities? And as long as we're trying our best, as long as we're trying to embrace this moment and live life's journey at this moment, then it's not about how quickly I'm going. It's not about whether I'm doing the same thing as the next person. I can't compare myself to anyone else because we each play our important, unique role. We each play our important, unique instrument, so to speak. And so every person is equally important. And therefore, I can't look at what the next person is doing. I can't be jealous of or be lamenting what they're doing. I have to be just focused on my own journey, not on the specific destination that we as a group, we as a world are trying to get to. I am not on the same exact path as the next person. So therefore, we don't have the same destination. We do not have to be going through life's journey at the same pace. All I have to be doing today is the best possible job that I can do to be playing my part in the most ideal way possible. Which brings us to the second layer. The second layer is something that I just mentioned where we have to be in the moment. We have to be focused on what we're doing right now. One of my favorite quotes that I've mentioned before is yesterday is history tomorrow's a mystery, and today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. You see, yesterday doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. I'm only going to take the good from yesterday to bring with me into this moment now. And tomorrow doesn't exist yet. It's an unwritten book. I can write whatever story I want. Literally all that exists is this moment that we are in right now. So if we go back to the question that we started with, if we celebrated and focused on when the Jews got to Israel, right, in the time of Joshua, Yehoshua, then we would think that getting to Israel was the only thing that was important. It was all about getting to Israel. That was the end goal, and everything else was just a means to that end. But really, every step of the Jewish people's journey, every step was incredibly important. Every step in the journey is incredibly important. We have to celebrate every moment, every step that we take, every small achievement. We have to embrace the now, wherever we are in our journey, because that's where we're meant to be. We can't get discouraged about not being at the end. We can't be upset about the next person who is a little bit further along in their journey. All we can do really is celebrate the moment that we're in and try to do the best possible job that we can right now. It's a great story that took place a few years ago. A young executive living in Brooklyn, New York, he became very successful. 
and decided to buy himself a brand new silver Maserati. And he just enjoyed driving it through Brooklyn, you know, speeding down the road, the exhilarating feeling of just driving his new car without a care or concern in the world. And one day as he's driving down a large street in Brooklyn called Avenue J, he feels something hit his car, doesn't know what it is. So he pulls his car to the side of the road and he sees this large dent in the side of his car. And again, he has no idea what happened. Someone, someone threw something in his car. What, what just happened? And he's looking around and he sees this child, 12-year-old boy, standing there about 30 feet from him, holding a rock in his hand. And it's clear that this boy must have thrown a rock at his car. He runs over to where the boy is and it gets in his face and starts yelling at him at the top of his lungs. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you throw a rock at my car? Your parents are going to have to spend every penny that it costs to fix this car. And as he's screaming at this boy, he notices that the boy's crying. And so he settles down a little bit and the boy starts speaking. And he says, I'm so sorry, sir, but there was nothing else that I could do. And he points next to him and he says, you see that boy? That's my brother. And now this point, the executive, the young man looks over and he sees that there is a boy, young man, looks to be maybe 18 years old, who's laying there on the sidewalk next to his wheelchair, a young man with physical and intellectual disabilities. And the executive turns to back to the boy and the boy says, I was pushing my brother in his wheelchair and we hit a bump and his wheelchair went forward and he fell out of the wheelchair and I'm not strong enough to pick him up. But because there was no one else around on the sidewalk to help me, I didn't know what to do. So I tried waving a car down to see if someone would stop to help me, but no one would. So I'm really sorry that I did it, but I felt that I had no choice. And that's why I threw the rock at your car. The young executive swallows the lump in his throat and immediately runs over to the young boy with special needs, puts him back into his wheelchair and apologizes profusely to the child for having yelled at him. The young boy thanks the young executive and continues to push his brother down the road. The young executive walks back to his car, his Maserati, that he was so furious about the fact that there was a dent in it just minutes before. And he sees the dent in the side of his car. And at that moment, he decides that he's never, ever going to fix that dent because he wants that dent to serve as a reminder to him every day to slow down in life, to stop going so quickly, and to be in the moment. Because if I'm in the moment, he says, then I would have noticed that that boy needed my help. When I'm in the moment, when I'm focused on the people around me, I will notice opportunities, people who need my help, things that I can accomplish. I must learn to be in the moment, to stop speeding through life. Many of us are familiar with the famous quote from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you can miss it. In Judaism, we constantly emphasize being in the moment. In fact, the word hayom, which means today, is often associated with many of the mitzvot, many of the rituals and commandments that we are given. In Shema, we say, Asher anochi hayom, that God is commanding us today. King David, David Melch says in Tehillim, Ze hayom asa Hashem nagila we have the Pasuk Hayom in Bukhukosai Telechu. Today, today, 
God constantly emphasizes this theme of being in the moment today. What am I accomplishing today? That is a major part of life's journey. Truly embracing today allows us to feel less sad, less depressed about the past, about yesterday, and feel maybe perhaps less anxious about tomorrow, about the future. By embracing the moments that we're in right now and being focused on today. And then we get to the last layer of being able to really understand how to embrace life's journey. And that is to remind ourselves that we cannot have one destination. We have many goals. And it's important to have goals. Goals, as we've said in previous episodes, inspire us. They are what give us a sense of passion that allow us to jump out of bed in the morning, to face our day and accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. But there is no such thing as getting to one end goal and then that's it. If a person says, I have one goal, what happens when they achieve that goal? What happens at that moment? Does that mean their life is over? Of course not. Every goal that we reach in life is a stepping stone to the next goal. We first celebrate and embrace that experience of having achieved that goal, of course, but then we map out our next path, our next plan to achieve that next destination in our journey. But there is no one singular destination. There is no one end goal. So we must strike the balance between celebrating and embracing where we are, but also never feeling that we are at the end, never feeling like our journey is complete. So just to review There are these three layers that we've discussed with regards to this concept of embracing life's journey and embracing this, these concepts, I believe truly gives us a sense of inner joy of a new sense of confidence in ourselves, in our abilities, and allows us to achieve our goals while still feeling content with where we're at. So of course, the first layer we said was reminding ourselves that we all have a different journey. We can't focus on a destination at the Seder, at the Passover Seder, or in our Jewish holidays, because if we did, we would think that we are all trying to get to one destination. And if we're not there, then we're failing. We're not doing the right thing. But of course, it's not true. Every single person has their own journey. Judaism emphasizes the fact that we all have our own journey that we're on. The second idea, the second concept, of course, is that we have to be in the moment. Right. If we're only focused on getting somewhere, we're only focused on where we are, where we've gotten to up until this point, and that we're not where we are in terms of the journey of getting to that specific destination, we will constantly be feeling upset. We will constantly be feeling anxious because we will say, I'm not achieving the things I'm supposed to achieve. We have to embrace and celebrate every moment that we're in and really do our best job that we possibly can in this moment. Not compare ourselves to someone else because we have our own unique mission, our own unique path, but remember to really focus on this moment. What can I achieve and accomplish in this moment to do the best job that I could possibly do? And then, of course, the last layer, as we just said, was reminding ourselves that we don't have one destination. There is no one destination in life. On our life's journey, there are stepping stones. Every goal, every destination, small destination that we get to reroutes us to the next destination we want to go to. Every small goal that we achieve is just the beginning, just a stepping stone to the next goal in our journey. We are constantly on our journey. So we have to embrace every moment of the journey, celebrate every achievement of that journey, never compare our journey to someone else and remind ourselves that there is no one specific destination. We have many destinations that we're constantly trying to get to. And all we can do is try to be in this moment right now to be the best version of ourselves that we could possibly be. I hope you found this meaningful. I hope you found this valuable. If you know anyone 
who would really connect with the concepts that we discussed here, that would be inspired by some of the discussions, the topics, the themes that we've had, then please share it with them. You can reach out to me anytime at unbreakablelessonspodcast at gmail.com. You can contact me directly at 516-455-7690. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram. Really looking forward to connecting with you. Have an unbelievable day.